Good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, can you believe we are just seven weeks away from finishing 2020? I think we can say two things. We can't wait for 2020 to be behind us, and we can't believe we are finishing the year. Take a look at this image. This is Sunday, March 15th. This is that first Sunday that for the first time ever in many of our lives, we uh, closed the, the building for service. And this was me taking a picture, um, praying and trying to process what I thought was gonna be done in just a matter of weeks. But here we are, and I can guarantee you that for me this Christmas will be different, and I think it ought to be different. I think we do need to be mindful of, of the mourning of many people, of the perseverance, I hope, of many of us. And may it be a sacred time um, to worship the fact that the Messiah, God Emmanuel, is with us. Um, but it has been challenging for our families, for the church's programming. We are starting to embark in the discernment of how we're going to offer you inspiring and engaging Christmas Eve services, potentially without um, having the mass, critical mass that you and I are used to having on Christmas Eve. But stay tuned for that. Um, the life lost so far due to the pandemic, the suffering, the hardship, the many layers that we have witnessed throughout this year, it is so important that we make sure that we believe and we speak on the fact that it's not in vain and it doesn't go without meaning and it matters and we are to pray and uh, stay connected with God. I sure hope that because it has changed our perspective, it has given us an opportunity in some ways for growing pains. I hope that it's making a difference and a difference for the better. Again, so nothing goes in vain, particularly the suffering and the loss of life. So today, I want to invite you to explore with me an incredible story in the New Testament. It's the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. I'll start in verse 13. And I hope that with me, you can seek the root of what is a grateful heart and what is the outcome of a humble and joyful heart. So let us read together Matthew 25, starting with verse 13, and it reads like this. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who received the first five talents went off at once and traded, in other words, worked with them, and made five more talents. That's the output. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off 
and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. Then one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you gave me five. I made five more with that. His master said, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22 and 23 um, depicts the same scenario for the person who um, received two talents and made two more talents. Let us go back to the reading, verse 24 and 25. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you go. Here you have what it is yours. Verse 26. But the master replied, and this is harsh, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? And the story has four more verses that I do encourage you to read. And it does speak clearly from the master's point of view in a very consequential way. And it lifts the emphasis of accountability. Um, it didn't go well for that one person who blamed, but as you just read, the master said, this is not what this is really about. So I want to start with this. At the root of a grateful heart, we need to start with humility. Humility, the servant with one talent lacked humility. And you can see that confirmed when you read the response and the reaction. He lacked humility because he quickly and boldly first blamed the master. And then he implied with what he said and how he said it that he did know something that if, in a sense the master was withholding the true motivation. Then we can also see how he's comparing himself based on what he doesn't have. So his eyes is fixed or are fixed on the one who has two and the one who has not six, but five. And then on a bigger picture, you can see that basically he is clearly grumbling than more than being grateful. At the root of a grateful heart, humility is key. Humility is needed. Humility leads to wisdom. And I believe that because humility, in a way to be understood, is the awareness that there is a lot that we do not know. And humility um, is the awareness that, number two, what we do know may actually need uh, correction, may actually need more work. Think about one or two life experiences where you can look back and say, that was a humbling experience. It was hard, but I learned something. Think about those life experiences when 
we hoped to understand and we couldn't understand. We really wanted to fix it, but we realized that it was unfixable. That is humbling. With humility, even hardship can teach us gratitude. How so? Because I believe that it teaches us how dependent we are of God, how we don't know, but God does hold everything together, and nothing actually is beyond the reach of God or above the understanding or the power and care and sovereignty of God, who is the master after all, who is the owner and creator of everything. That's how hardship can remind us of who depends on whom. So how do you express gratitude to God in a time like this? And I encourage you to think for the only seven weeks ahead of us, yes, during such a strange and difficult time, how can we make a point? How can we focus and prioritize in the midst of it all to be deeply, profoundly grateful to God? When I pray, I will confess to you, I have not thanked God for COVID-19. And I say that because I believe that certain circumstances in hindsight, when we've, once we've learned the lesson, I can say, you know, I see the blessing in disguise. But be careful on saying things out of time. Right now, I do not thank God for COVID. What I thank God for is the fact that I know that I know that God is with us through this horrific global pandemic. And God in his word was very authentically honest and clear, saying that in this life, we will face trouble. John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, in the world you face trouble, but take heart and take courage. I am with you because I have conquered, says the Lord, all of that. Without humility, the reality and reminder of what is unfair and how wrong and how difficult the circumstances are hovering actually all over us can actually lead us to choose to stand away or to drift away from being with God. Or like this story said, for us to dig ourselves deeper into a hole. We can blame others, including God. We can compare ourselves to those who have two or five or six or simply more of what you believe you don't have. That we are going to then withdraw from actually taking steps, courageous steps forward. Like the story said, the first two servants, at once they went off and worked it out and worked through it. I can also put that positively, like the servant who had five, not seven, not six, and the other one who had two, who didn't compare himself to the one with five, they decided and they were striving to deepen their understanding of gratitude. How? By looking ahead, by um, 
by doing something with what they did receive. And that means that they were spiritually focused beyond themselves. They were contributing. And that's the output. That ultimately we give more of ourselves. This story reveals how an outcome of a humble, of your grateful heart uh, can lead us all to be faithful stewards. Stewardship, you look it up in a regular dictionary, it's defined as taking the responsibility to oversee, to plan, to manage, and to protect something that is considered worth caring for. When you look at the biblical standpoint of what faithful stewardship means, particularly through the lens of this story, we can define faithful stewardship as maximizing, utilizing, managing, protecting because it's worth caring for all the resources that God provides for God's glory and for the betterment or the advancement of God's work. That's faithful stewardship. Here's the truth about faithful stewardship. At its root, the meaning also ties perfectly, I would say, with humility because it has to do with self-denial. The first or the, the last servant with the one talent clearly did not express any self-denial. In fact, the person demanded and blamed and dug. The master went away and it says for a long time. There's something there. It doesn't tell us how long. Once again, you and I never have control of time. Nothing ahead of us is actually of our control. But this story tells us, based on how the master responded, that it was sufficient time to do something productive. But the call was, once you receive and you choose, at once you do something about it. The opposite of faithful stewardship is either coming up with the following excuse, or, or I would say even worse, actually believing that we are helpless, that we are hopeless, and that we are defenseless. But the good news is, where does our hope come from? Who stands for us? Where does our hope and help come from? God, God, and always God. So be careful on ever feeding the emotion of helplessness by actually believing that you can't do something productive or that you're not actually called to be a faithful steward. I want to share with you how in 2008, you may remember how our country suffered, endured um, an economic crash. And David and I personally were hit quite drastically that year. And it took us a few years to bounce back. 
and we adjusted. Um, we did what, what we never thought we had to do. And it took a few years. I remember, I think that by 2012, we were just bouncing back. And shortly after, a great challenge that I thought of it as a blessing the moment it came my way, but nevertheless a challenge, two years later, 2014, we were called, I believe, by God to move to a different district. I was called to be an associate pastor, which is with a lesser pay than a senior pastor, into one of the most expensive cities of the state, Miami. And within Miami, I would say one of the most expensive areas of the city, Coral Gables. And we had a four-month-old baby. And up to that point, we had our beloved grandmothers or the, the, our daughter's grandmothers, who we call the abuelas, taking care of the girls, of course, for free. And now we don't have that. So once again, again, we have to adjust and do whatever it takes to continue being faithful stewards. It was humbling. I can only say it again. Humility teaches us. We had to adjust. And I'm just going to share one of the major changes that we did in order to continue being faithful stewards. We downsized from two cars to one car. And for us, that was a big deal. Maybe it's a first world problem, but it was a big deal for us. Very independent, we're both very busy. And um, as funny as it may be now, just so you know, David was used to, for most of his adult life, having the latest, coolest model car of the year. And now we're downsizing to one little car, old little car, 2002, over 130,000 miles. And we did this, and again, we did financial peace. And it took five years for us to be able to have two cars in our family. And I remember David telling me, and this, again, another first world problem, just to give you a little bit of the other side of the spectrum. I loved a particular kind of protein shake, chocolate with peanut butter. And we added it up, and in just one year, with the, with the trend that I was following, I was investing, or I should say wasting, over $600 just on milk, on protein shakes. So we adjust. We did whatever we could, and at one point we felt called to increase our tithing because it was what was needed to be a faithful steward. So, in my case, I gave up protein shakes, among other things. And I share that with you, um, not to boast, but just to give you a normal, ordinary circumstance. In my case, I give a lot of my time because this is part of my vocation. But there's more to that. David and I will always be forever grateful to the local church 
Because I know that for David, my husband, he found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior through youth ministry and through worship ministry. I found, I discovered my calling into ordained ministry because of the local church. We are so forever grateful that however we can, with our time, with our talent, and with our money, we will prioritize the way to be faithful stewards in the capacity that we can. Maybe some of you can share this preference that I too have in David. I enjoy being able to worship right here in this space, expecting the AC to always be working. I enjoy that the projector has the lyrics um, blown up with good um, arts and clarity so that I can engage reading and following along. I enjoy and expect, and I hope you do too, that when you go to our restrooms, they are clearly ready for you. But I, and I hope you don't come to this local church or any church that you call your church home or your church family, expecting to simply get. As faithful stewards, here's how that needs to be switched. We make this happen. We invest. We contribute. We share the responsibility. Another angle. I am privileged to say that I have two daughters and I'm going to call them for now for the sake of the story my two talents and I believe that for the rest of my life and I sure hope the master gives me a long time that I will water and pour and pour into their souls so that God can do the growth, so that they can learn for themselves and develop their own faith in knowing Jesus Christ. How? I depend on quality Sunday school programming. I depend, and I hope you do too, expecting good theology, good teaching, people trained, people willing and loving our kids, people who care to strengthen your marriage, people who care to walk alongside of you when we are wounded in our marriages, when we're losing our family members, to be in all the crises of life that we can imagine and the ones that we could never imagine happening to us. That's what the church family is all about. And I am not naive to think that if I do everything in my best, with my best effort, that I can guarantee that my girls, once they become adults, will be churchgoers. I sure hope. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to dig that gift that I was given by God. I am going to invest every second of the day, um, excuse me, every second of my life to pour into their lives so that one day they will become those servants that they have to choose how they're going to live their lives. And ultimately, one day, I hope that you long as much as I long to stand before Jesus and unworthily, yet so sweet, hear Jesus say right back to us, well done, my faithful and trustworthy servant. I believe that is going to happen. I believe 
we will have that moment to experience one day. As disciples, we give thanks not for what is happening to us, but for the fact that nothing can actually separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8, 38. And that is faith with realism. Aren't we grateful that we are not a bother to Jesus or to Christ? In fact, we are called to be the body of Christ. So in response, my beloved friend, brother, and sister, faithful steward, may we then not ever consider contributing and advancing the kingdom a bother. We do not uphold a prosperity teaching. We don't give to avoid condemnation or to gain something. That's not what this is about. We give because we're grateful, because gratitude propels us to be generous. Who should take care of the church, the utilities, the operations? Who? United Way? The Red Cross? The dead? The non-Christians? Who is first called to take care of this? Those of us who come. This is our responsibility. And we should do this in this together because we are bearers of the image of God. Our church is adjusting. We've been planning how to persevere through this and how we're going to persevere 2021 and how we're going to engage new people and how we're going to disciple and how we're going to nurture. We prepare budgets too, like every single one of us should. In 2019, as a church family, this right here, we learned the lesson. We needed to reorganize and realign ourselves. We needed to see how we were investing our time, our talent, and our money. Your money, the offering. It wasn't aligned accordingly. Or I should say, effectively. So we worked on that. And in January 2020, we presented a budget that the church was uh, very gracious to stand by. We appreciate that. But I have to tell you the following. While we continue to work before the pandemic hit, days before, we realized we needed actually more correction and more clarity. And then the pandemic hit. And it only accelerated the need for us to readjust and plan and whatever we have to work with, to work with. So I wanted to share that with you because as of now, we are needing to reduce significantly. We currently have been working with a reality of a budget of a $1.2 million budget. But to live within our means, 
to be able to do ministry and not be driven so much by the margin. We need to do all of that with a budget under a million dollars. And that itself can only happen when all of us come together. We are not too small of a church. That's the good news. But I also have to tell you that um, 80% of the work here is fulfilled by just about a little under 20%. And I think that is a common, unfortunately, a common reality in, in many churches or organizations. But just because it's common doesn't make it right and we should not normalize it. I'm letting you know that so that you can pray and seek God's wisdom and reflect and decide how more of us can come together. It requires planning. It requires sacrifice. It requires self-denial. It requires for us to see what we each of us have at hand and how we can make this happen. But may we only do it because we know that God wants the church to advance the gospel of good news. And I will finish with this. When you're seeking wisdom, I hope that you are planning your budget individually for your household. This story tells us that's needed. And I hope that you plan and you prioritize and you consider tithing. Tithing is a term, biblically speaking, the first fruits. It comes from the terminology, the first tenth, that proportion, uh, uh, um, that proportion according to the income, the first fruits. Plan accordingly and commit to that. And ultimately, may you joyfully long for the moment that you hear God say to you, well done, ambassador of Jesus Christ. Please pray on that. God bless you.